Hi and welcome to the Journalism Salute. I'm Mark Simon. In each episode, we'll talk to or about an interesting person or organization related to journalism. The intent is to show that journalists are not the enemy of the people. Thank you for listening. On this episode, we're joined by Isaiah Holmes. Isaiah is an award-winning reporter. He's been with the Wisconsin Examiner since 2019. He'll be a tight media fellow for the next year as well. He's a lifelong resident of Milwaukee. Hi, Isaiah. Thank you for joining me. No problem. Thank you for having me. So what's the origin story of your journalistic interests? I've always had kind of a propensity for writing but the actual specific story really materialized in my senior year of high school. I went to Wauwatosa East High School, which is in Milwaukee County. And basically my entire life, I'd always wanted to be a herpetologist, which is a, it's in the field of zoology and it's the study of reptiles and amphibians. And I had a lot of reptile pet friends and things like that. But senior year of high school, I took AP bio and it, I, I just really wasn't into it for a lot of reasons. And that was kind of a reality check. So I was kind of in this state where I was like, what do I want to do now? You know, and at the same time, uh, back then, Netflix was had some cooler things on it than it does now. And there are just a couple of documentaries that I had seen back then, one about Kurt Cobain, another one about the cannabis in legalized states and just the, the whole industry and even in Canada. And I just kind of put just something kind of clicked because I had video talents. I loved writing. I liked storytelling and such. And there were things going on around me that would lend themselves to something like that, you know? So it kind of moved from there pretty much. So is there anything in your family background or your heritage that lends itself to telling stories? My aunt, my, my, my mother's sister worked at the Milwaukee Courier for a long time. And for a very brief time, like literally once, they let me do a little column that was called like Eyes on Science or something. Because, of course, I wanted to be a scientist. And I, I don't even remember what it was about. It was about amoebas or something. But not really. I mean, that's really the only connection that I could think of. And I don't... It was never really a major thing in my life. It was just something I was aware of that my aunt, you know, worked at the Courier. You know, gotcha. What? What? I'm familiar with the Journal Sentinel. What's the Courier? The Courier, I think it might still be around. I'm not sure, but it was focused on really the African American community and the North Side of Milwaukee, and really gave a voice to, you know, black people in the city. Gotcha. But, why on your Twitter page do you describe yourself as a thinker, a hippie, and routinely blah? Well, I don't know. <laughs> I That was kind of just something I thought of because like, I, I don't really like social media bios and everything, but I picked those because, I don't know, I, I think a lot for sure. And a hippie just seemed good because I'm I really love nature and there's a lot of interest that I have that people might call me a hippie for, basically. You know, I'm not really keen on 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 a, a violence. I'm not a pacifist, but I'm not keen on it, et cetera, et cetera. And then blah, I don't know, just just I'm I'm a very easygoing kind of mellow person in general. So, <laughs> OK, well, reading your stories, I think there's certainly a lot there that is not blah. 
and just to explain to people, the Wisconsin Examiner is a nonpartisan nonprofit news site offering a fresh perspective on politics and policy in the state of Wisconsin. It's part of State's Newsroom, and we've had, I think, two other people from State's Newsroom come on. Explain the, the purpose and the intent of the Examiner. Well, the Examiner started in 2019, and, you know, the purpose of it is essentially just to give a fresh, fresh news perspective in an otherwise kind of declining environment, at least locally in, in Wisconsin. There is a, a lot of the columns and a lot of the perspective, I guess you could say come, comes from a, from a progressive more or less perspective, you know, that's right on the website, but it's kind of hard to articulate that just because it, you know, people kind of interpret that as like people telling you what to do or whatnot. And that's, that doesn't happen, you know? So, so more broadly, we focus on the state legislature and Paul and uh, legislation coming out of the Capitol in Madison and how that affects people's everyday lives. And I guess our coverage, it's really a trickle down. You know, we do a lot of high policy kind of like government agency kind of things all the way down to interviewing people about who are being evicted from their homes about, you know, what's going on and what it's like to be in their situation. Essentially trying to center the right people. I, I'm essentially thinking that like a lot of the people that I've interviewed have said that like, you know, when you write a story about housing and stuff, they talk to policy people and they, uh-huh. they don't actually talk to the people being evicted. That's and, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. That, that That's something that definitely I can concur with. And yeah, we, you know, we, we do talk to a lot of elected officials, policy people, but you can only go so far with that, you know, and most of the people who are reading the news are not, you know, high policy people or elected people, you know, so it's good to hear familiar stories. Sure. How did you come to the, to be at the examiner? They hired me. So I was, <laughs> I was <laughs> freelancing at the time and I was doing, I was sending a lot of stuff to urban Milwaukee, which still republishes a lot of our stuff. Basically the examiner the wheels started to get going to create it, I guess. And the editor of Urban Milwaukee was aware of that and mentioned my name, you know? So then I got an interview and it went from there. Where'd you go to college? I didn't basically. So I went to UW-Milwaukee right out of high school for a little less than a semester. I learned through mentors and internships and things, you know? So basically, you know, like I tried to do what every kid is told to do right out of high school and go to university. It didn't work out for financial reasons. I tried to go to community college, encountered issues as well, you know, just paying for it and that sort of thing. And I just freelanced from there, you know, and I had a couple projects that I had ideas for at the time that I just developed and opportunities came. And it's a good example for others. 
certainly that, that might be in, in similar situations. So Wisconsin is a state in which a lot has happened related to racial justice. And these are things that have garnered national attention. The killing of Jacob Blake by police officers, the protests that followed, and then Kyle Rittenhouse killing multiple people with an AR-15, a case that got national attention and ended with his acquittal. You've done a lot of writing in this area, you did an award-winning investigative series into the police response to civil unrest and protests in Kenosha in 2020. You've written about police surveillance. You were personally impacted by this. We'll get to that. In 2022, I found this on The Trace. It was also on the Wisconsin Examiner. You wrote about how the militias really haven't left and that the Rittenhouse shooting started a debate that hasn't ended. What has it been like to cover some of these events? It's been a lot of things. It's I, I guess the first th thought is it's been really heavy. It's been very eye-opening because, you know, you kind of go to, I, I feel like we all kind of go to a lot of these topics, kind of wielding what we already know as if it's not, you know, subject to change or able to evolve, right? So there are, so, you know, going into, uh, the summer of 2020 and, and protests and and you know there is a lot of focus on Kenosha and Kyle Rittenhouse and etc. Protests in the Milwaukee area and in Kenosha started just days after George Floyd died in May of 2020 and went all the way through in Milwaukee. One group went on for over 400 days after he died. So it's it's been really interesting to kind of see the juxtapose of kind of like what it kind of doesn't escape the local sphere and what doesn't really make it to the national media. Even some of the surveillance related stuff that occurred didn't, uh, people still pop their eyes when they hear about it for the first time, you know? So uh, I guess that's another part of it. It's kind of strange because you kind of live in it and then there's kind of a distinct reality you live in versus other people. But it's also been very, very interesting it's very it's fun to dig into this stuff and broaden my perspective i guess so when you're doing these pieces what are some of the challenges and the like the big ones that you would face when you're trying to investigate police response or you're trying to investigate police surveillance or you're trying to investigate militias what what challenges have you run into one of the there there's two things that our definite challenges is finding people to talk to and finding records and, and, and obtaining records in a, from local government, from government in general, but from local government in a consistent, in a consistent way, basically is the easiest way to put it. So in terms of finding sources, you know, it depends on what the issue is. And for a lot of those things, so in 2020, there was a lot of people who were really, you know, they were kind of already out in the open, right? They, they were kind of already out there doing their activism and, and et cetera. So they're willing to talk to you. There's a lot of suspicion and caution, especially within the activist community, for example. And it changes. In Kenosha, it's a very insular kind of community there that sometimes, especially after what happened in August of 2020, after Jacob Blake, is very, very cautious and sometimes even not very cautious of out, outside groups of any kind coming in, media, activist groups, even if they're from Milwaukee, right? Even if they're also from Wisconsin. So 
finding people to talk to and getting them to trust you, which varies again, according to the situation. And trust is another thing too, in terms of, you know, eventually you got to go and you got to talk to, for example, law enforcement, you know, or some security group that tried to cat that tried to try to set up activities in Kenosha, you know, in, in, in response to that or whatever the situation. And you got to wonder, especially law enforcement, like sometimes there's a difficulty with trust with trusting the information you're really receiving is accurate, whether it's intentional or not. You know, sometimes the public information officer just does not, is not aware of, perhaps is not aware of the activities of maybe the guys in some specialized unit in the detective division or whatnot. And then records in Wisconsin, you know, we're regarded as a sunshine state in terms of we have pretty strong open records laws, but that it it doesn't feel like it sometimes. Different places handle record handle records requests differently. Generally speaking, if what you're asking for will reveal law enforcement techniques or tactics like a particular kind of police surveillance technology, the information you're going to get is very limited to if anything at all. You know, there's a lot of reasons that they can redact things and withhold things. Recently. I had a request that was partially denied because of ongoing investigations and the request involved a person who had been, who's been dead now for over a year, you know, and their death investigation is closed as well. So it's just what could still be going on. Um, Kenosha, they handled their, their open records are kind of partially processed through this third party company that was started by a former Kenosha police officer and they cost a lot of money. That's another thing. Sometimes it costs a lot of money and finding the funding and resources to get over that hump or get legal help for it is, can be difficult. And that, and we'll talk about type media in a little bit, but that's certainly, I imagine what, what type media is for. How does your race come into play when you're talking to the various groups that you're talking to? I think so Milwaukee, you know, when you're talking about, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, it's one of, it's always been kind of regarded as one of the most segregated, racially segregated cities in the country. And last time I checked the census, the, about close to 70% of all black people in the state of Wisconsin lived in the city of Milwaukee, not the county. You know, the county has a lot of surrounding suburbs that have histories of redlining and restrictive zoning laws that they're still kind of learning to deal with, I guess, you know, and not that those are necessarily still active, but the echoes of it span through time and still affect things, still affect where people can live basically, or find it easiest to find housing. So, you know, in that context, it provides uh, being African-American and growing up here uh, and growing up in the city of Milwaukee and then moving to Wauwatosa, which is one of those outlining kind of suburban city communities. It really gave me a lot of perspective and 
you know, different environments and just the, con- the the stark and drastic contrast that happens just when you cross over to a street and how when you segregate communities like that, it creates people with very, very distinct life experiences and trajectories. And they can't exact, it's hard for them to, it's not that they can't empathize, but it's hard for them to really find where, you know, relate, you know, which causes a lot of the, what you would call ignorance, you know, about, about that, that arises when you're talking about these very difficult topics. Right. So, yeah. So long story short, I I think that being African-American here, it provides a lot of perspective that has allowed me to kind of navigate different communities in the city and yeah, approach it in a different way. You mentioned trust. How do you get sources to trust you? Sometimes it's just the vibe that they get from you. You know, I've been told several times that, you know, that I just have a good, they people see something in me that, 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 that makes them feel okay, you know? So they are, and, and, and it's not instant, you know, it, you, you have to interact with, interact with them and, and et cetera. But there was one individual, I'm not going to say who, but I did do an interview with them recently. And I talked to him just about his life, you know, not even the, not even what we were there to talk about, just his life and you know his his kids and this is and his hobbies a lot about his hobbies for over an hour before we actually did the interview and he decided that you know you're pretty cool you know i sometimes it's also it's what you know so if you come there and you kind of are you know something you have a bit of information something new even that you that that you can inform them of you know that goes a long way as well and also just being kind of a normal human being especially when you're talking about tv journalists there's kind of like a character to it and that and that throws people off you know and and it you know you can't you gotta you gotta be yourself you know so what is the actual experience of writing like for you it can be kind of frustrating sometimes I mean, actually writing the article is like the last thing that happens on the back end of that. There's doing, it depends on the article too. There's doing interviews or filing open records requests, going over the requests, uh, piecing together a timeline of what you think happened and answering different questions, follow up. If you have to make maps or convert data into something cool looking or edit video. And then you get to the writing part, you know, <laughs> where you, sorry about that hit the mic but then you get to the writing part where you have to sit there and figure out how am i going to tell this in a in a way that people are going to read you know so i would say that the hardest part for me is is that first paragraph you know i'll spend hours on that first paragraph and then once i kind of get that going i kind of have an idea in my head of kind of where things kind of fit or it just kind of falls into place naturally and it's very rewarding you know it's like art yeah. And how, going back to something else, how big is the staff at the Wisconsin Examiner? Like, are there a lot of editors that you're working with or a lot of fellow writers? No, no, there's five of us. So there's our, our, our editor in chief, Ruth, and we have Eric, the deputy editor, 
and then there's me, Baylor, and Henry, who are reporters. And we all kind of have our own wheelhouses, and we all write things. So in terms of editors, we have Eric and Ruth. And then sometimes we have national editors who help out as well. Gotcha. The state's newsroom. Sure. How did you end up on a FBI watch list for being a journalist? The context of that is, I mean, I went to, again, Wauwatosa in high school. The Wauwatosa Police Department during the summer of 2020 created an intelligence document that they that they themselves and they won't really own this anymore they almost don't even like calling it a list anymore that's they they called it a protester list at one point they called it a tpr target list at another point tpr standing for the people's revolution which was a protest group that formed after george floyd's death and was actually the protest group that continued those protests over 400 days after floyd died so they created this list earlier in the summer, around June or July of 2020, and they gradually added to it. And at some point, they had put me on that list. Now, and I, we, we didn't even find out that a list existed beyond rumors and things that people suspected in the crown based off of the behavior of officers calling people out by name over loudspeakers and this sort of thing. We didn't find out that there was a list until I filed an open records request and received records in January of 2021 that mentioned the that that mentioned that there was a list an actual list in redacted form didn't get released until the summer and there's a whole the you know kind of fiasco about that in terms of actually getting it and actually the first person to receive it I believe or one of the first people was an attorney who was involved in lawsuits against the city of Wauwatosa for its actions during 2020. And she had called people who were on this list to inform them that they were on it. So she called me and said that you're on this list. And I was allowed to see just my individual entry. And because there was private information on that list, right? And uh, this list was shared with many law enforcement agencies, including the FBI, by personnel within the Wauwatosa Police Department. So that's kind of how I ended up on it. I mean, I don't know when exactly we're I'm still trying to work that out. I don't know when exactly I was added to it or for what specific purpose, but it happened. It's got to be a little unnerving for that to happen. Did that impact you in any way? Finding out about it, you know, finding out about it was was, you know, it it made me feel a lot of things that it, it, it felt predictable based off of the behavior that I had already seen with the Wauwatosa police department over years. It was, un, I, I guess it was unfortunately predict predictable, you know, it's like the kind of thing that you could kind of pr- suspect that they would do, but you'd hope that they wouldn't, you know, and that there would be some sort of guardrails around it, which don't appear to have really occurred you know the the when when the list was shared and this came out during a federal trial that concluded just a month or so ago when the list was shared it was never 
the the recipients of the list who were other law enforcement personnel were never told this is confidential information this is sensitive information this is driver's privacy protection act protected information there it was just shared and told you can share this to whoever you need so it was unfortunately predictable but it it was unnerving it did explain certain things that were occurring that I was hearing about and very ominous because you didn't know it's it's like a weapon that you don't know what it's been used for right so. you mentioned you mentioned heavy it being very heavy to to cover some of the things that you've covered I imagine that 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 just adds to the weight of it and I always ask this I typically ask this near the end but I'll ask it here how do you as a reporter, what tips do you have for managing mental health in terms of what you do? I'm still figuring that out, to be honest. I'm 27. But I will say that what I found is finding something that, because me, myself, journalism was also just something that I just enjoyed doing for a long time, you know? So it's like you have to find something else that you enjoy doing because that kind of makes you a workaholic, you know? So. Yeah. I would say what's worked for me is having hobbies or interests, whether it's watching videos, learning different things, doing different activities, exercising or whatever, whatever it is that's completely unrelated to the soup of bad news or good news that you're involved in that's all around us. You know, I went through a Game of Thrones phase, for example, just 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 turn off the reality part for a second right you know some people like video games i've taken up longboarding meditation something that kind of just switches your brain out of that out of that kind of space that we get in as journalists you know sure. where this is just normal you know so i do want to touch on other a couple of other aspects of reporting that you've done one is I think we mentioned at the beginning, you're a videographer, and I found online a two-hour documentary, Speak, Friend, and Enter. What was that about, and what was the process of putting that together like? That's kind of integrated into my journalism origin story a bit. So it was about, in a nutshell, Speak, Friend, and Enter was about, at the center of the story was what a lot of teenagers felt at the time was kind of like a teenage focused crackdown or drug crackdown that the Wauwatosa Police Department was involved in or conducting during my senior year of high school. And it, it said, you know, and, you know, basically, you know, kids were hanging out in the woods, partying in the woods, this sort of thing. And of course, the cops have to come and kind of shoot them away. But the way in which the Wauwatosa Police Department went about it and seemed a little heavy handed for a lot of time for a lot of people, there was even talk back then that there was a list of, that there was a list of kids that they were keeping because they knew too much about people. Random cops would know way too much about you and where you were going and this sort of thing. And I had been stopped by the police excessively during one particular summer vacation so my antenna were already kind of attuned right and then you ask you know 
some of your friends and some of them don't don't ex have never experienced this and think you're making it up but other them but others have these really kind of sometimes kind of disturbing stories and then your relatives because i'm african-american my 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 parents in their generation they know the deeper history of wauwatosa and the fact that they would never even go to wauwatosa because it was understood what the attitude was in wauwatosa towards minority groups you know and not just the police, just the community in general. So Speak, Friend, and Enter basically was an attempt to capture what I thought would otherwise disappear in what my generation of teenagers were experiencing there. And there was a lot of conversations going on about what are what are our rights and 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 et cetera, you know. So in a nutshell, it was about reports of misconduct by the Wauwatosa Police Department with a particular focus on their interactions with local youth. So do you have intentions of doing more filmmaking? Yeah. Yeah. I yeah, definitely. In in the very near future we'll we'll hopefully hear of some things. Nice. Wink, wink. <laughs> That's cool to hear that you you're likely working on something. So you won a number of awards and that was actually how I found you online, looking at some awards that have been handed out throughout Milwaukee, throughout the state of Wisconsin. One was from the Sierra Club, which named you Hero of the Year, Environmental Hero of the Year in 2021 for your environmental reporting. What did you work on then? Um. So that, so, you know, during that time, you know, there was a lot of conversations around Enbridge Line 5, a pipeline that spans northern Wisconsin. It's a Canadian pipeline and passes through the Bad River Reservation. And there's been a lot of debate and discussion around and, and legal battles around what to do about that. So I was reporting on that. I did a lot of writing on PFAS and uh, man, I can't say the full thing, polyfloral alkaloids i think or something pfas they're sometimes called forever chemicals and they're part of a family of group of chemicals pfos pfoa that have been used in you know non-stick coatings and firefighting foams and thus they've contaminated the environment and they cause a lot of chronic health issues and water quality issue concerns so i wrote a lot about that but some of the sierra club members, I suppose, were also impressed with some of my police-related reporting as well. So that all factored in. That's uh, that's very cool that you were able to, that you received that award from that group. So I'm curious, you mentioned before that, some, that a lot of people aren't going to read policy-type things. What kind of interaction have you had with your readers? Generally speaking, it's very positive. Only very rarely and for very specific stories do you really get hate mail. But generally speaking, it's very, very, very positive. I can barely go to press conferences or protests anymore without being pulled aside and saying, hey, what's up? I'm like, hi, you know. <laughs> uh, so generally very positive. And I and 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 not just kind of like people saying we like your work, but people giving you information that you can make new stories off of and trusting you with that information is probably the most rewarding part of it. 
I won't say from which police department, but after doing an interview with a police department, one of the personnel gave me a challenge coin that had like like a like their press office's logo on one side and their badge on the other and I and and that was cool, you know. So there's there's all kinds of neat little interactions that I've had, right? That's awesome. What do you like covering most? I like covering I whatever it is I like covering things that require me to kind of approach the story from a lot of different angles at at once. So doing interviews, doing records requests and data crunching, if I can kind of do all that in, into one thing after that project, I feel very, it's very, very rewarding. I do enjoy writing. I mean, obviously we talk about police surveillance. I do enjoy writing about that. Unfortunately, it seems that in southeastern Wisconsin or Wisconsin in general, there's not a lot of reporters that focus on it or do write about it at all, you know? So that is cool, but I wish that other people would kind of pick up the mantle of that. Environmental things like pipelines or environmental spills or that sort of thing can be complicated to to kind of work out and cover, right? So I like the challenge of that. And evictions and housing provide me a way to really talk to people and also drug treatment stories provide me an, an avenue to, to to talk to people who don't feel heard and don't feel, just don't feel heard or seen in our society. Yep, I was gonna I was gonna bring that up because I know that that's something that you've been working on recently, and we'll include a couple of links to those in the in the show notes. What work are you proudest of? Proudest of it. It kind of shifts because every time I kind of make something I, I I think is cool, yeah, I I kind of top it right, or 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 at least I feel like I kind of top top it. You know. A lot of the open records stuff that we did during during 2021 involving police departments and what they were doing during 2020 and actually into 2021, those were really cool. I did enjoy covering the Jay Anderson John Doe hearing that was involving a police shooting that happened in 2016 and took until 2021 for it to make its way to court and have a fighting chance, right? And the judge ruled that probable cause did exist to charge the officer with certain crimes, but special prosecutors appointed later declined to pursue those charges. Um, that Covering that whole process and also the protester list trial more recently, because again, there aren't a lot of people who are covering that. And sometimes you're literally the only one in the room or you know you're the only one who's going to cover it with, with, with much detail, even though it is a full room, right? Those things I tend to be most proud of. And how do you view your role as a journalist in 2023? The role, you know... I feel like journalists, you know, to do real, to do critical, investigative, hard-hitting, 
um, journalism that actually makes an attempt at all to question power or hold or 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 be act service the watchdog that we're supposed to that 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 needs to be really honored and 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 valued and and, and highlighted you know and right now this country is involved with things that that may become serious threats to press freedom you know you know the prosecution of julian assange for example the hunts for whistleblowers that occur you know whether you're talking about you know ed snowden or or a daniel hale or, or reality winner or anyone you know that part of the conversation and that purpose of journalism cannot be forgotten, especially in these times. But it's also my role as a journalist to humanize the people who you're talking to and understand that these are that these are people who are going through probably sometimes the most difficult uh, things that they're going through in that particular moment, you know and you and if you must be a vulture, be a kind vulture, you know, if you must swoop in when they're in that, or when, when they're in that moment and write a story, then be a kind vulture because vultures have a very important purpose in nature. They clean the land, you know, they ensure there's a balance. So, and again, that respect for press freedom and our role as a watchdog is part of the reason why I think press were so targeted during 2020, why I ended up on a list like it's cool or something. It's not cool, you know? It's not okay. We've been down this road as a country. And we decided that we're not supposed to do this sort of thing a couple times, actually. So, you know. History repeating, as there's another podcast out there, Deja mm -hmm. News, uh, would, mm -hmm. would certainly attest. I like the phrase, be a kind vulture. Thank you. I mentioned you're a recipient of the Type Media Fellowship. Can you just explain what that is? Type Media itself is a nonprofit, and they and they do their own journalism, from what I understand. But they also do a lot of work in supporting, you know, journalists from, you know, underrepresented backgrounds and marginalized communities, and supporting them at different stages of their career. And it, it kind of flows into this the uh, Ida B. Wells Fellowship, which again is kind of focused on journalists of those kinds of backgrounds. And you, we got to, you know, pick a topic that we're going to, you know, investigate for a year, right? And they're giving us not just financial support, but also there's lots of mentoring and stuff. I, you know, going to the IRE conference in Florida, you know, you I've learned a lot, you know, just a lot of techniques and strategies and things. And there's even courses you can take in mentoring. So it's a really awesome organization. We've had Bobby Joe Misick and we've had Amir Kafaji come on previously to talk to us about their experiences. And they were part of that program as well. As we near the end here, I always ask journalists to offer a piece of advice in their area of expertise for younger journalists. So I ask you for that. If there's one thing I can advice I could give young journalists, especially, is to innovate their stories all around you. 
And if there's one great example I could give, it's about speak friend enter because I couldn't, I forgot to actually talk about some of the process of actually making it. And basically speak friend enter was made with the trust of kids in my school, a, a Sony Handycam and the YouTube video editor, which was horrible. And <laughs> I had to basically trick, you know, find a way to kind of trick it into really doing what I really needed it to do because it was very, very limited, but I made it work and compiled this two-hour documentary. No money, no anything. And it took three years It, it from 17 to like 19 or 20, you know, but that as much as it is a story, Speak for an Enter, I felt like was also a proof of concept, you know, that any kid can notice something going on around them, pick up a camera and make this, you know, so yeah, innovate. Absolutely. And innovate and be patient. Because as you said, it's going to take a considerable amount of time. As you can relate, I can relate as well. The show is called The Journalism Salute, and we salute you for your good work. Is there anyone or any organization that you would like to salute for their good work, preferably someone that you're not necessarily closely affiliated with? Like friends with them or something? Right. Like, yeah. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Can I name a couple people? Yeah. All right, yeah, Jeremy Scahill, associate with The Intercept. A lot of people have probably heard of him. His book, Blackwater, his, his book and documentary, Dirty Wars. His work with whistleblowers and dealing uh, with highly sensitive government topics is extremely valued. And he actually graduated from my high school. I got to meet him senior year. We were not the same age. He's much older than me. You know, but, but, you know, but <laughs> anyways, he, he came to my like a video production class in high school. So that was cool. Gary Webb, um, who did the Dark Alliance series, kind of revealing, you know, the nexus between um, America's intelligence operations and the cocaine trade. Kevin Carter of the of the Bang Bang Club, South Africa. May he rest. And also, lastly, I think, um, a war journalist, Robert King, his documentary shooting Robert King helped inspired me to do film and stuff. That's a very full list. That's a very good list. And I recommend checking out Isaiah Holmes' work. Isaiah, thank you for taking the time to join us. Best of luck in your future endeavors. Thank you for listening to the Journalism Salute. Please let us know what you think of the show. You can find us on Twitter at JournalismPod, and you can email us at journalismsalute at gmail.com.